Hi, this is Marlene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. It's Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicle Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing today? Good? I'm good. Everything is well here. I know the show's a little bit staggered, but we're in December, officially uh, the holidays. I like to differentiate because sometimes I kind of try to run everything together. So, But anyway, we're winding down towards the end of the year. I tell everybody, I remember when I was a kid, a year was like forever. You told like a year from that, be like, oh, that's so long. Now it's like a year, you blink and it's come and gone. My point being, we're going into 2022 and it's like, huh? Um, you know what's that saying? Time flies when you're having fun. And even when you're not, that's <laughs> like another year. So yeah. And and later on, we we'll to have another show because even though we shouldn't do it, you know, this is also the time of year that people start making where they call it those, um, well, and the, the reason why I bring this up is, you know, since when I was doing my hypnotherapy, right after the holidays is when everybody had made up their mind to lose weight, to what, whatever their, okay. their New Year's resolution was, because this is the time. Everybody, of course, waited until they had a blast or had a good time in the holidays. <laughs> and then New Year's, it's like, okay, I better get down to business. So I would get a bunch of people coming in to see me on January. And it was really funny because I would even have some of them book an appointment in December to come see me in January uh, because they already knew like, hey, I've been doing this before and I fizzle out. And, um, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, what, uh, doing what I did with hypnotherapy and uh, subconscious and things like that, believe it or not, it's um, it really doesn't matter. You know, as uh, as far as, uh, you know, why you're programmed sometimes, you know, your subconscious mind to not go through with something that your logical mind tells you, I have to do this, or I would like mm -hmm. to do this or achieve this or whatever the case, how you sabotage yourself. And that's basically, you know, what um, what's what you work at. And, and I want to say it it wasn't like, you know, almost it's like even a good idea to wait for that New Year's resolution because guess what? It's a pattern, especially if you've gone through that same cycle of, hey, I go and I just bought a brand new gym membership or I bought a bunch of clothing so that I could work out and look nice. And uh, well, you know, if I'm going to go, you know, all these things, um, it's almost like if you've 
ha- hasn't worked for you, which by the way, the, this is why they would come to see me for hypnotherapy because I've tried to do this before. It didn't work. You know, it's almost like, don't, don't let's, let's, how can I say it? Let's start making the change in that behavior by not waiting until the New Year's resolution thing where everybody, where the crowd is going, because basically you're setting yourself up a little bit of like psycho babble there, guys. But anyway, let me get on to the good. As for you, the people, the chicken people, I know that haven't put up my video about the chickens. They're all doing well. Um, You know, it's, uh, they're, they're, they're going crazy. As a matter of fact, a lot of them, you know, with this cold weather that we, I've been experiencing mostly at night, my egg production is totally off. I walk around after them. I go, where are the eggs? Where are the eggs? And my poor chickens look at me and go, huh? Yeah, that's like, where are the eggs? Man, that cold weather does something to the egg production big time. But anyway, let's get on to the good part, guys. The good part is who has I have as a guest tonight. This is the first time that this guest has appeared on Stories with the Supernatural. Her name is Dr. Irene Blinston. She has seen an experience and I quote unquote out of some weird things. I love it. In her life, these experiences include a religious apparition, lucid and repeating dreams, psychic phenomena, odd electrical and magnetic phenomena involving her body, out of body experiences as in OBEs, spontaneous weeping, the scent of sanctity, UFO sightings, seen Bigfoot and more. These experiences are what led Dr. Blinston to pursue her PhD in transpersonal psychology, which included the study of psychic phenomena, survival of consciousness after death, encounter experiences, mystical experiences, altered states of consciousness, and more. Dr. Blinston knows that by revealing our experiences, we risk being called crazy or worse. Boy, is that true. But it is this lack of exposure that keeps these aspects of our human potential misunderstood, understudied, and sometimes labeled as pathology. She graduated from the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology in Palo Alto, California, with doctoral specializations in spiritual guidance, creative expression, and transpersonal education and research. She conducted her doctoral research studying a topic that has never been researched before, a first in the field. She studied the impact and lifelong after effects of religious apparitions experienced in childhood. Whoa. So we could talk about so much. How Help me welcome Dr. Blinston. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I was like, well we could talk about that and that and that and that and that and that and that. But there's a long list. <laughs> oh no, but great. Uh, to me, all of those subjects in and of themselves are fascinating. But let me ask you, how did you become interested in this field to begin with? Was it childhood interest and an event? What happened? Um, definitely childhood interest. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a mother <laughs> who I describe as a closet esotericist. Okay. Um, very Catholic, but um yeah, we had a Ouija board and, you know, I thought every mother walked around with a pendulum in their purse and, you know, <laughs> card readings and all of that. Um, so I had that exposure very young, uh, which I used to tell my mother how grateful I was for that because she never thwarted our psychic abilities. I have four brothers. Um, so, yeah, and that's that is how my interest got sparked because she was there to share all her, what she's learned with us and practice with us, even okay. as a little, little kids. So it was pretty cool. But what really um, 
got me going, I would say, is that probably a profound experience, um, which I rarely talk about, actually, was um, experiencing a religious apparition when I was between five or seven years old. And that's what actually led to my doctoral research, my dissertation research on the um, impact and lifelong after effects of religious apparitions experienced in childhood. So I studied adults who had had that experience as a kid. Yeah. So yeah, that's how that. Let me ask you, when you had that experience as a child, did you realize right then and there that it was religious or did you understand it after the fact when maybe you were older? No, actually as a child, I was raised Catholic and I went Mm -hmm. to Catholic school and this actually happened in church. And I saw this man (laughs) who I identified as Jesus. Okay. Um, at, at that age, and he, no one else saw him, but I did, and he was okay. right in front of the church. Um, so it was a very, very impactful experience, and I had physical, um, how do I describe it, physical sensations and physical reactions to the experience as in an altered state of consciousness, and um, and then after, it was, it was kind of sad because I was telling my mother, but she just wanted me to be quiet. <laughs> Oh, in you, the church, you got right was... ahead of me on the question, because I was about <laughs> to ask you what happened when and if you told anybody about what you saw. Um, my mother was the only person I told because I got kind of an, not a negative reaction, but I knew she didn't believe me. Mm-hmm. And um, she just wanted me to be quiet. She goes, yes, yes, I see you. I see him. Now just be quiet. <laughs> oh, because you told her right then and there. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because I was just like, he's there. He's there. And here's the quiet, you know, the priest is up and doing his thing. And, you know, the church is really quiet. And here's this little, you know, five, six year old going crazy. So where did you see the figure up on the altar by the priest? Yeah. on right in front of the altar, actually. And he was looking at, um, he was looking at the crowd. He was looking at at first, he was looking on the other side. It was a small mm-hmm. church and from a small town. Um, right. And he was looking on the other side and kind of looking at everybody. And when he looked on my side, his eyes locked with mine. And that's when I, you know, time, I have no idea how much time went by. Um, he did. I did receive a message from him. <clears throat> I don't talk about it because it makes, I just start crying when I talk about it. I have no control over that. Um, but when, and then I was just so excited about it. I, Right, you're a child. You're like, yeah, right. Which is what a lot of children do. They think everybody sees it. Yeah, I was so surprised. I'm thinking, why isn't everybody excited? You know, sure, right, right. Like, you know, there's a guy up on the altar. It's like, right, yeah, right. That's a typical child reaction where everybody's in on this, and then you realize, did were your siblings there? Yes, yeah. No one else saw him, but no one else. Yeah, uh, no. And I and when I and what happened, I think where I had the real where I could feel the impact of the physical response was when I realized my mother didn't believe me. And my mother was the closet esotericist. If I had told her I saw my dead grand, you know, great grandmother or something, she'd be all over it. Right. Yeah, I understand what what you mean. But for her to just shut me out like that. then I knew it wasn't safe to tell. And Did so she ever ask you any more about it? Like when you got home? No, nobody. No. Um, the woman that was, my mother had told me, and this was much when I was, I, I was much later. I actually 
um, wrote about it, but it mm -hmm. was when I was in my doctoral program, you know, she said that the, she remembered and she said the lady that was in the pew behind us when I was screaming, she's going, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> the, the woman behind and my mother's going, don't encourage her. We got to get her to shut up. Um, but no, it was never mentioned again. And, you know, that was really hard because, you know, if anybody was going to believe me, it'd be my mother. Um, sure. So, but exactly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I kept it secret my whole life. And this is the thing. Most of the, like the Marian apparitions with children, they've same thing. They were thought to be liars or, yes. you know, almost bordering on blasphemous. Like, how could you, you're a child. And most of them, you know, were, were poor. Why would the Mary, the Virgin Mary appear to you? Very exactly. uh, same thing. And it was almost you like, exactly you, right. for lack of a better words, even the families were like, you know, you're going to get in trouble because you're that you can't say that you saw that or yeah. Right. No, you're exactly right. And I did, um, I did, I traveled to Europe when I was doing my research for my dissertation mm -hmm. and went to Marian apparition sites. Um, and then, you know, just to experience the locations and right. uh, it's very interesting, very interesting research, but it was the people who I sent out a call for my participants all over the world. And, and I got people from all over the world responding, but I had very strict criteria. So it was really hard to qualify because in my experience, this person who I perceived to be Jesus, I could have walked up and touched him. He was right. It wasn't like, it was like a solid person. Exactly. We call it a corporeal apparition. I mean, it's just like you could hug them, you know, they're there. And so I needed that for, you know, so that I could really narrow down my, my research criteria. Um, because but you did I the did criteria get on adults or because I know you wrote uh, the book about children, but when you did the research, was it for adults? It was actually adults who had the experiences. Okay. Children. As children. Okay. I understand. Right. Okay. And um, I don't have the stats in front of me right now, mm -hmm. um, but there was a, a large percentage who didn't, who either told one person as a child and like me was kind of thwarted. And so they right. kept it a secret their whole life and they never divulged it again until they responded to my call for participants for my research. And, um, and so it was, and then listening, you know, they actually wrote an autobiography for me and, but I had them do, actually do artwork first. Oh, to wow. to describe because there's a thing about when things like this happen and anybody who has an experience whether you know any kind of encounter experiences where my specialty is in mystical experiences and this can mm -hmm. include you know alien encounters or even seeing a ufo or right. you know seeing bigfoot or whatever it's ineffable mm -hmm. you know it's yes. like how do you describe that you know it's um so in order to be able to um, address the ineffability of it. I had them do art to describe or show or illustrate their experience. And I really wanted to make it easy. I'm like, if your experience was a color, just grab a crayon on a piece of paper and just put, you know, just do that. And that's all you need to do. Right. But they did. I mean, I had people, I like one person did a uh, stained glass 
Oh, wow. She saw a religious apparition of Mary. And I mean, they really put the work into this. One Native American person who saw Jesus, um, a Native American person did a beadwork of her experience. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. Like the memory. That's the thing that you learn. People, the memory is very sharp and detailed. Well, it, yes, it is. And and it's um, and it's so much easier to do it if it's nonverbal. That because of the ineffability of the experience. So when they are able to do it in a nonverbal way to express it, then it's come out. So that's when I had them write a, their spiritual mm -hmm. autobiography or basically their experience. So then they're able to express it in words. It's just that they need to get it out first. And oh my gosh, they, they went above and beyond the call. Because they are, boy, I could... I've been wanting to say this and maybe I haven't to for so many years. Did you find there was a median age that you no. saw the majority of sightings or no? Well, I had, you mean as far as when the, they had the Right, like how old were they? Where you say, okay, you know, they, the majority of them fell into this approximate age more or less. I would say the majority of them were probably, well, my, I also cut it off at 12 years old. Okay. So you're they talking about 12 pre years old and pre teenage. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No teenagers. They had to be 12 or less. Okay. Now postdoc research that I did, I allowed up to 18 years old, but okay. for this particular specific corporeal religious apparition was up until 12. And I would say the majority of them were probably um, seven years old or younger. Okay. Yeah. Right. Oh God, some amazing stories. Oh my goodness. Right. Um, and these, and, and, and it's, I'm sure, like you said that a lot of them, if they told anybody, it's, I want to say even a child sometimes understands that saying it or that ahead of time, they know that might be rejected or disbelieved or told, don't be a liar, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, um, that was common, actually. So I had, oh my gosh, I got so many emails in response, but they didn't qualify. But it, it's like somebody will listen, you yes. know. So I had, I've had, I mean, probably two thousand emails wow. um, from around the world of people that were sharing their experiences, and and um, mm -hmm. but because you know it wasn't corporeal, they didn't qualify. But right, because was, you were looking uh, for that specific thing. Yes, that specific. Yeah. Let me ask you: Were these were these sightings were they strictly Judeo-Christian, or did, were we talking different religious beliefs? I, yeah, I narrowed it down to Judeo-Christian biblical okay. figures specifically, okay. and right. I, the um, no angels. And although okay. I don't discount the, you know, angelic appearances and things like that, I just mm -hmm. needed it to really be narrowed down. Right. So it was saints, you know, or, you know, whatever biblical figures and mm -hmm. Mary and Jesus and the majority, believe it or not, I, you know, I'm raised Catholic. So it's like all of the Marian apparitions were the big right. deal, but the majority of my participants saw Jesus. Yes. You know what? It's really funny because. I, I was thinking that I'm thinking, man, if you got in trouble for seeing Mary, can you imagine if you said I saw Jesus? Yeah, right. You'd be like, oh, right. And it was yeah. usually in a calming situation. Um, one instance was a child who was listening or hearing her parents argue. She was in her bed and she was, you know, just like praying. Mm -hmm. I think she was about seven years old. 
at the time. And she said she was just praying that her parents would stop fighting. And it was just the stress that was on her. And, um, and Jesus came to her and he wow. put his hand on her. So there was also physical touch. It's really fascinating. And this is, um, wow, that is incredible. See, that's the kind of thing that you hear that, um, and, and it's of, of all the things that a child, especially at that age, could make up as far as oh, seeing, gosh. it's like, you would think that would be the last thing. Well, the thing is, too, this is where I, you know, you have to be kind of strong-willed when you're doing research like this because other very material, you know, uh, researchers or scientists who are based in materialism, man, I got bombarded, you know, it's okay. like, you know, it's just fantasy and imagination oh, sure. and all of that. Um, but I was looking at how they were impacted and if there okay. were lifelong after effects. So, I mean, these experiences, even with children, it changed their lives. Uh, yes. They're, you know, one child became a healer where, it, you know, <laughs> and another child who was probably rambunctious and really kind of a, a you know, naughty boy type of person yeah. suddenly changed overnight and was helping the neighbors, taking out their garbage and helping, you know, elderly people and things like that. The parent that, must have said, what's, what's, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in the, you know, some of the ones that really struck me were, you know, and the most common people that responded to me were healers and their experiences as children is what sparked their healing abilities. Almost like what you hear also some people that have had near death experiences. Yes. That some of them, when they come back, somehow have dramatic personality changes and I don't want to say personality changes, but sometimes the way they behave or the, yes, they just, if they've been angry, they, that the anger is gone. Right. Um, and their perspective on yes. life is different. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, this is something that's really fascinating because I wrote a chapter for a book. It was a trilogy on Fatima and now we can get to UFOs mm -hmm. here, but yes. um, when they, when these researchers in Portugal were actually investigating and they were able to go in and actually read the original papers where the testimonies of the children who saw Mary right. and this whole thing was they actually had an artist do a rendition of what they described mm -hmm. and it looked like a, uh, a space alien. Well, that's what I had. I read that thing about Fatima because they were you know, I, I, and I understand what you're saying as far as looking at the original, because between then, the once the church ac mm -hmm. accepted it, they kind of massaged it. I'm oh, being yeah. nice about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, this you is know. true. Yes. But to read the original, I had heard that, yeah, that it was like, it, in other words, I guess the, the church wants the Marian apparition to be a certain profile, like this is what you saw. So, and of course, children are unfiltered. They, they describe right. what they see. That's what yes. I'd heard, that it wasn't that prototypical Marian apparition that everybody wants to think of as from the religious perspective. How's that? Right. Well, there's even, you know, if we look at it from probably all of the apparitions, um, mm -hmm. but I'll just speak to Fatima, it's just simply because they had, you know, they, the the artists that do like for witnesses or whatever, and they'll draw right. a picture of what they're hearing. Mm -hmm. And basically with Fatima, there is also the incident when 
the the spinning sun. Right, exactly. Yeah, so that's um, in in the book that I contributed to. It's called Fatima, Fatima Revisited, and mm -hmm. it's the Marian apparition and includes in ufology. Um, right, and so I I wrote about the comparison of what those children had described and what my participants described and what UFO experiencers have described. And it was fascinating. It took me five months to write a chapter just because of the research I had to do so into experiencers of, you know, alien encounters and the wording and the experiences were almost identical. Isn't that strange? Because, because the thing is, in Fatima, didn't the crowds also witness, you know, the spinning? In other words, that yes. you had people saying, we saw the same thing, you know. Exactly. When, when the children 10, said. 000, I think. Right. And then you're thinking, okay, was this a mass hallucination? You know, you see what you expected to see because it's religious or holy? Or, yeah. <clears throat> you know, and, but this is the thing. Like you described, these religious um, sightings, whether it's Mary or Jesus, have a, like a positive. But then you hear of some people having an encounter or a sighting with extraterrestrials or whatever. And some of them are not, in other words, you're scared. Right. You know, it's almost like, even though you're describing the similar thing, um, it's almost like, you know, one sees it as something good and holy, because I'm going to use that word. Versus the other one, it's like, I don't know exactly what this is. You know, should I be afraid? I'm not, a, you know, that kind right. of thing. Well, I've read a lot of, um, well, even before I did my research, I, way back when we were talking about my other book, I wrote about the angelic communications. Mm -hmm. um, I was part of a UFO or alien um, encounter experiencer group. Okay. And this, it was, to me, it was fascinating because, and also with the research I did about psychologists who they were doing case studies and I got to read their case studies, but the initial encounter for the most part is frightening. And what I found right. very interesting, even with people who had experienced some kind of body invasion, you know, where mm -hmm. with like the, you, if you've learned or done any reading about this, like the scooping, like yes. the, the scooping or implants or whatever. Um, right. And so these people who are laying on these, they describe like laying on this metal table and being right. invaded with no anesthetic. Um, you, afterwards, and it's like after they, they go through a process of thinking about it, um, at least in the counter group that I was in, mm -hmm. almost everybody had a positive, like it was, it was meant for something good that they, they were chosen and it was, they had a mission. Um, and there's something similar with the Marian app or not just Marian apparitions, but the religious apparitions. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's, and it's fascinating. Not everybody comes out going, yeah, I, I was chosen and it was awesome. Right. <laughs> um, right. But most everybody had a very frightening experience to be right. This with. is this is what you read about that, especially people that have a history of it that they say that even from childhood, they have a history of abduction, yes. or yeah. sometimes, like you said, 
that some of them even think that they're being their genetic materials being used. You know, everybody's right. reaction is um, basically that you're being like a lab rat kind of thing. You're you're powerless. You have no control. And versus the other thing is a totally different feeling. And of course, uh, even though um, it's, it's I, how can I say it? it? There's no threat. How's that? Because I think that's the problem that a lot of people feel threatened because they know that this being uh, can do whatever they want to if they wanted to. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I think at least for me, because I mean, my name is Irene and I'm a control freak, but I, you know, <laughs> it's being, it's feeling out of control. Right. Exactly. You know, it, because a lot of them are paralyzed yes. and, and, and there's a similarity also, you got me, <laughs> I'm on a roll here um, because yeah, I love this topic so much. Um, but there's a similarity with individuals who see apparitions and I'm, I'm going to, you just describe children. Because I did this too. I didn't watch myself, but mm -hmm. I can only imagine what I looked like because they go into a trance. Right. And if you look at some of the filming when the one, the apparitions where they had photography and stuff at that time, yes. you know, they, they'll go down on their knees and the head goes back mm -hmm. and they're in a trance. And so they also aren't in control when that happens. And I wish I could say, I know exactly what's going on there. And I can explain mm -hmm. that to you. I don't know, but that's, you know, there's, there's something about the, um, the energy of the apparition Okay. that, you know, that these kids are, and, and it's not just kids. It happens. It's happened with adults as well. Right. But of course, my expertise is in the childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they're, they go into a trance state. So in many ways, they have no control. Oh, my gosh. And some of the um, there's apparitions that took place in Garabandal in Spain. And mm -hmm. scientists went in there and they actually, while these girls were in trance, were lighting putting matches and lighters to their skin and to they see if they would react. Mm -hmm. They were trying to burn them to see yes. if, because they thought they were pretending that they were faking. Um, right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's and, 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 so and the reason why, I'm, and I guess my thing is though, the, because you know that some of the messages that the Virgin was, and, and I wonder if, if you came across any of this, which was um, basically asking, you know, to for people, I'm talking Mary to pray the rosary, to right. repentance. Um, in other words, you know, to avoid, you know, all these bad things that people had to repent from their sins, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Did you run across any of the kids that had the Marian apparitions or Jesus that got a similar message? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna. No. Have, I have my own version. I have. I'm, sometimes I think, to me, it's like, I, I thought, is this the church saying them? And I'm not. I have no idea if this is the message that was given to these children. But I'm more of a. I'm, I'm anti-fear. How's that? <laughs> it makes me think if the Virgin Mary's gonna give you a message, it's not gonna be fear or guilt. <laughs> I can see her saying pray the rosary or help you know it's positive mm -hmm. stuff but you know do this or else 
and and I was thinking how much of those messages were, you know, the church once they accepted them as actual Marian apparitions said, well, we got to make it a worthwhile message via these children, of course, that this is what the Virgin Mary said. So I yeah, I think some of that may be so, but we also have to keep in mind that um, especially when we're looking at the um, apparitions in the smaller peasant type countries. I, I mean, Portugal was a little different because mm -hmm. they were like killing priests and stuff at that time. Nuns and right, priests exactly. were being killed. Yes, I know. It's like a revolution at that time. So yes. they were, there was some manipulation there because they were scared. Right. Um, the, you know, the priests and stuff were scared. It was going to become popular, which it happened really fast and thousands yes. of people were going there. Yes. So it, but, but they did pray the rosary because that was what was right. You know, that's exactly. what they were that's taught. What I was saying. That's a, yeah, exactly. Which is to me, that would make sense where as far as, you know, messages to pray the rosary or for world peace, all those things that I can understand. Um, and as a matter of right. fact, one time I went, I don't know if you remember the site that they had at Conyers, Georgia of the Virgin. Mary. I know of it. I almost went down there, but I'm not. At one time I went, this was back like research. in the nineties. I went, this was, and it just so happened. I went on a weekday. There was nobody out there because you know that I believe people would go out there on a certain day of the month or something. There was a timing on it. Oh, Okay. And, you know, when I went out there, I was expecting people were going to be there, even though it was a weekday. I'm in the middle of the day and I went out to the site and it was, I was out there and, you know, they had statuary, but it was very normal, very, and I walked around and, but it was nothing, there was nothing out of the ordinary or anything. Because I don't know if you remember the lady in Conyers, she was saying, I'm receiving these messages from the Virgin Mary. And yeah, I, know I that knew about that. Yeah. And the church was very hesitant. They were like not going along with the program as far as uh, right. saying that it was an official Marian apparition, et cetera. God, but uh, it them. was some, and I remember that they had, uh, what was it that they did that they were doing the same thing with her. They were, they were testing her or putting a probe, uh, probes on her. Like when she went into trance just to gather, you know, and she was, she was, and, and there, it was confusing because it looked like she was not, her, what was it that they had on her? They had attached a bunch of stuff to her to see what was happening when she was supposedly in trance. Uh -huh. And it was like her blood, everything was very low. It was, everything was like, like, how, you know, you can't will yourself to do that. You know, what she was going in her brain right. patterns. I think they also, one time they were looking at that as far as when she was going into trance. And then I don't know what happened to that. It just, that Conyers thing just faded away. I don't know. Yeah, but, I, yeah, I don't know a lot about it. I know a little bit just because I studied, you know, right, as many right, right. apparitions as I could um, mm -hmm. and wanted to go to the sites if I could. Mm -hmm. but, um, but I don't know a lot because it was an adult uh, right. and my focus was on children. Well, yes. adults who as children <laughs> had their experience. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. That, ask um, you, when you, when you, when you interviewed them, did you have, I know you said, okay, the cutoff point is going to be 12 years of age. Mm -hmm. Did you have any participants that were young adults? In other words, that this had happened to them within the last 10 years of their lives, or was everybody older? You know, like uh, somebody that I, was maybe 20 in their twenties and this happened to them. Yes. Actually. Well, let me think, you know, that's a good question. Cause I had so many responses, um, but I, 
I, I mean, it actually, it narrowed down to 25, but I had, there was men that were in it too, but they didn't want to do the processes. Like they didn't want to do the art or whatever. So they dropped out. Um, so really? I ended up, men did yeah. Not- yeah, men were. Why am I not surprised? Like Why am I not yeah, surprised? Yeah, we call it attrition, and uh, so I lost. Like there was five guys, I lost all of them, um, and then some people were afraid. Even though I promised them anonymity and confidentiality, mm-hmm. they were afraid because some of them were like well-known people um, okay. in their field. You know, whether it be yes. you know psychology or their doctors or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they dropped out. But I ended up with 13 participants who completed everything for me. Um, and of those, I yeah, I think that it was my, my postdoc where I had some who were younger, meaning that they were like um, 20. And then okay. they had their apparition experience when they were like a teenager. So right. it was pretty fresh. But pretty fresh. I had one woman who was 70 some years old and had it when... I mean, she had her experience when she was a child with polio. Oh, so wow. it was like a long time ago. And she remembers it like, yeah. So, um, so yeah, there, I didn't have, um, I didn't have very many at all. That were, were they, were they all younger. Christian? Were, no. Were, were, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, Native American raised with Native American spirituality. That's incredible. Uh, one woman. And uh, she saw Jesus, and then also a Jewish woman who saw Jesus. Okay. See, yeah, that's so, that's um, a, that's the one where that's you know you got to get your hand around because if you think okay the, you know these people are seeing what they expect to see, but it's the unexpected when they start saying yeah I'm Native American, raised in Native American spirituality, but I'm seeing Jesus. Her right, shaman must right. have been come here. <laughs> <You saw who? laughs> And she called and she um, she had a name for him. She didn't describe him as particularly Jesus because at the time she didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But when she got older, you know, because as a child, she called him. She had a name for him, like the wise one or something like that. And it wasn't until she was older and learned out, learned about Jesus, you know, that there was this Jesus person. She's like, that's him. Um, Yeah. And I also had someone from Japan. Raised in, you know, Buddhist and Shinto religion. You know what? What's really interesting that people don't realize that there's a lot of versions of the Marian apparitions where the virgin looks like the populace. Yes, yes, yes. People yes. always think that the Marian apparitions are the prototypical Mary, as in European looking Mary. Right. Yeah. And there's an Asia. What was it? The, the one in Vietnam. There's a... There's a there's another one, our Lady of Zaitun, which I think is out of Egypt. Oh, in Egypt, I mean, yes. That the that Mary is clothed in traditional. I think what's the name of the one in China? This, of course, is pre-communist China. Um, that she's Asian looking, and yeah, was, it, it, yeah, it, she's it, and this is also um, our Lady of Guadalupe. Yes, also looked like a native. Mm-hmm. Um, the, from the description. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, now, my people who, and interestingly, when I think about it, my non-Christian experiencers, I'm, I'm sh- pretty sure all of them saw Jesus, which is interesting. How did, they, did they all see Jesus? Uh, what did they say Jesus looked like? I know this must be like something. 
Um, actually, some people drew him. Really? And, um, yeah, yeah. Well, even with me, you know, they're saying it's just a statue. I'm like, no, this guy had curly hair and um, what, you know, what I saw, brown eyes, curly, mm -hmm. dark hair. Uh, yeah, more, yeah, looked Middle Eastern, actually. And right. as a child, I knew nothing about that. Um, so that's who I saw. And they did drawing, you know, did rough drawings or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, they, you know, some dark haired dude. <laughs> so, Think it about is, it. Back, yeah. I'm sure when, because I went to Catholic school too, the prototypical Jesus that I grew up seeing when I was in school was the the one like the the light eyed blonde Jesus? You know he didn't look yeah, like what really, you're just yeah almost blonde. He didn't look Middle yeah. Eastern. It's like no, yeah, yeah. So that when you're saying I see this guy with with curly hair and you know dark eyes and yeah, dark skin, dark, dark skin, skin exactly. That is so yeah. interesting as far as that people like you say okay how much are they making up? Well okay if you're going to be making it up out of your subconscious mind you're going to be coming up with what you think versus right what, that this is right well and that's what I, did you ever see him I again was accused of i'm sorry say that one more time did you ever see him again in dreams okay yeah um yeah that's a whole other thing if you know whitney striver heard of him. yes um i also attended night school and um i was from the time of my original apparition mm -hmm. i started to have a nightly dream and okay. It, and it's just interesting. I'm going to be outing myself here. But um, <laughs> uh, I it have this dream every night that I was, I just find myself in this field, um, like a, a, a meadow, so to speak. And there was logs of old dead trees and logs that were in a U shape. And there were like 12 of us little girls. And there was Jesus there. And he was teaching us. Okay. And wow. so when class was over, little girls would talk to themselves or whatever. And I'd make a beeline to Jesus, hug him around his waist. And he'd put his hand on my shoulder or hand on my head or whatever. And as soon as he did that, boom, I would be sitting upright in bed in the middle of the night. And that happened like every night until I was probably about 10 or 11, I'm guessing. And then it was okay. like, every three nights and then eventually went to once a week and then maybe once a month and mm -hmm. then it just faded out and then i had another one and and all of us little girls grew up in okay. my dream oh so in other words you put you up you saw yourself as your age and everybody around you okay yes yeah every, I, we all and i you know i mean it I just remember that we were all these little girls and then we just got older and we were just like when you go through school and um, and the thing that bugged me the most is that, I mean, he'd be teaching us stuff. But when I woke up, I mm -hmm. could not remember what he taught us. It drove me crazy. But and this soul, was like your soul alert was learning night. it. So, yeah, that's... it was like every night. And um, and then when I was 18, I had another and all the girls were there mm -hmm. and I beelined up to Jesus, of course, and same thing happened. And that was the last one I had. And okay. um, there was a, and I have to say, you know, that I had this feeling of abandonment. 
Um, like what happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why did you leave me? You know, why did you abandon me? Sort of thing. Um, and by the time I was 11 years old, this is another thing, I was a self proclaimed atheist. That went over well in Catholic <laughs> schools. <laughs> How's yeah. that work? <laughs> yeah. I was a self proclaimed atheist because the Catholic nuns or whatever, they couldn't answer my questions. I was pretty precocious, but um, they couldn't answer my questions. So I thought they were all full of it. The only thing is, though, is I knew there was something. Okay. So it was when I was a teenager, anyway, like after the last visit I had, the last schooling, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, that after that happened, I realized it's not that I'm an atheist because that's just anger. Right. You know, that's my anger because I know there's something. So still to this day, I call myself agnostic um, because I know know there's something. But yeah, so I had that and I had actually a a psychologist Mm -hmm. do a regression on me Okay. to try and find out, to get me to the place where I could be in class and watching Jesus teach us so that I could remember what I was being taught. And it was kind of upsetting because my, my experience in that regression was that we were being taught about. It was pretty apocalyptic, actually. And um, that was a little bit upsetting because no wonder I couldn't remember for a six-year-old or a seven or eight-year-old to see, you know, this, you know, war and desolation. And I mean, it was just, it was. Which is, I was going to ask you, was it always the same thing that he was teaching I guess I wish I could tell you, I don't know. Was it a teaching or was it a warning, I guess? You see what um, no, I'm saying? I think we were, I, this is just me. I really don't know, but um, mm-hmm. I think he was preparing us Okay. to be leaders of some kind or to help. And, okay. um, and so when I, which uh, the book we were talking about before, but the book yes. I wrote that has to do with, um, what did I call it? The, you know, cracking the angels code. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started to get the angelic messages, which was after I'm in my twenties, I guess, um, I started to get the angelic messages okay. and then I'm being told by them after this whole process, which I share in my book, cracking the angels code. But, um, I was trying to figure out what the heck they were telling me, but it okay. was basically there. I was being prepared or being told that I was going to be in a leader position Okay. When all hell breaks loose, basically okay. the end times or whatever. So, and it, were, so it, what you're saying is these angels were carrying on with. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know, to be honest with you. Okay. It, the, and it's not just me, you know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. other people. And what fascinates me is people getting the same messages. And okay. I'm pretty, I, I was pretty isolated. I still am, but. Um, right, that when, you could say, okay, I, yeah, this is bleeding over somebody. Right, I heard this from right. somebody else. Yeah. So, and I lived in, I'm, I'm born and raised in Northern California, about three hours from Mount Shasta. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these messages were from these angels <laughs> um, okay. that, you know, they were like telling me that I needed to get prepared and that the end times were coming, but they were looking at like, it was going to be this transformation. It was going to be great because the angels are going to come back. It was going to be a garden again. Um, So I, I thought about, and I'm supposed to be able to lead people who are going to stay behind. 
they even speak about something that really related to me, like the rapture. Right, or I was what, gonna say that. that that's... Yeah, and some, or, or how some of the um, people today talk about the ascension. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's this whole ascension process, and and so all of these things were coming together. So if I'm, if I was being taught by Jesus about these apocalyptic things that were going to happen, and that myself and these 11, there was 12 of us, actually, these little okay. girls. And so, the, you know, myself and the 11 other girls were in some way to be there to help during that, during that time when that happens. You know, so, um, and so the angel messages were also informing me about this kind of thing as well. So do you think that even though you don't remember them, do you think that if you ever met any of those girls, you would recognize them? I don't know, but this is where I'm outing myself. When I did my doctoral dissertation research, that was uh-huh. what I was hoping for. I was hoping I'd find them. Right, that you'd run across and then yeah. would be like, I don't know how I know you, but I know you. Well, and I then... thought that I'm re- I'm reaching out around the world mm-hmm. to find people who had a religious apparition as a child. Right. And I was thinking this would be one way that I they may see, and I mean, my call went around the world. <laughs> um, right, right. So and you're thinking. If they see it, they'll, they'll want to be part of my research and will you know, that was my, that was my hope. I didn't tell anybody that. Sure, sure. Um, this is. At the time, but that was, you know, regardless, it was going to be interesting research, but really in my mind, I thought this is one way because I wanted to know, you know, are they out there? Are they out there still? I still wonder. Right. Or somebody that I could there? say, and then all of a sudden you're thinking, this person was seeing, you know, the same thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cause I had them describe their experience. <laughs> so right, exactly. I thought exactly. we'll know for sure. Right. Uh, How yeah, did them? Like, yeah, Let me school. ask you, because Jesus it almost enough. seems, do you think, especially when it angels, are we talking, are you seeing, do you think angels and ETs are two separate or are we calling ETs angels? Because you know, maybe that's just the, you know, you look at ancient aliens that, you know, that they, this is how, you know, humanity or whoever witnessed them, this is what they came up with. Right. Well, I think it was uh, one of my aunts, actually, um, when I was receiving the messages and I asked them, mm-hmm. are, you know, about extraterrestrials. And they, and if you think about this, it makes sense um, that it, you know, people recognize angels, mm-hmm. but extraterrestrials. So basically, they're they're saying like they're the same thing. Like so, okay. in the messages, for example, um, they said that heaven okay. is a planet outside our solar system. Okay. And that the angels and the archangels live on different planets. Okay. But they're not, and how can I tell you? Because, you know, we always think of, even though, you know, we always think of angels as spiritual or not corporeal, like you said, versus mm-hmm. you think an ET is, okay, extraterrestrial, but still corporeal. Like, but then again, they walk through walls, right? Right. You know, okay, well, yeah. they could, they can bend, God knows what they can do inter or interdimensionally. Yeah, right. Uh, right, right. You know, so, we don't, we're not really sure. Well, I, and to me, I mean, I call them angels because that's how they describe themselves when they identified right. themselves as angels. 
Mm -hmm. um, when I was first receiving the communication. But if you've seen the movie Contact, um, yes. when she's, you know, goes through the wormhole and she's on that planet and the, the person who approaches her was her father, yes. but it wasn't her father, but that was something that she could not be afraid of or right. accept. So I right. feel like that, yeah, even, you know, the apparitions of Jesus, the apparitions of Mary, um, angelic experiences that people have that mm -hmm. I, this is just me, but I, I feel they're either extraterrestrial mm -hmm. or other dimensional. Okay. Right. And I've, and I've heard of that as far as, because sometimes, you know, the, let's say we think of traveling or, you know, the, there's a lot of things that we just haven't conceived of yet. Not, you know, because we're just figuring out, you know, on a, how can I tell you as far as dimensions and wormholes and all of these things right. now is when we're really getting, getting it. Whereas maybe this, I'll call them species. What else? I mean, what, you know, whatever they are, mm -hmm. they're like, they're around the curve on that. And it, it, it's very interesting because it makes you think, you know, I'm sure you've seen ancient aliens and it's like, are, have they been here all this time? And right they were made into angels or gods, demigods, you know, right. Or oh are they, gosh. do you think that, that in a lot of times you hear the same thing, even from this one time um, I, I hadn't gone in a while, but I belonged with this group, which was, uh, they would put on MUFON uh, presentations. Oh. It was a UFO awareness. And I spoke to quite a few people, you know, after the meeting, the meeting, after the meeting, where people <laughs> yeah, say right. that after they would have had a UFO experience, not even an ET, just deciding that then they would start having paranormal experiences. Right. And that some of this stuff was following them around for years. And the triggering had been a UFO sighting. All right. Right. And right. it was, in other words, it wasn't like, oh, I saw light in the sky and that was interesting and never something never happened. These were people that started having events happen to them where they lived to them and it was after that UFO sighting. You're right. And that's the same with the apparitions um, where I was talking about person becomes, you know, a hands-on healer or mm -hmm. their, you know, massive psychic abilities. Right. Those, those are the kinds of changes. And, the, you know, we can't really say like, I mean, I saw a UFO when I was like nine years old. Okay. Yeah, that's a whole, you know, God, I could, we could talk for hours. I was <laughs> going to say, <laughs> and how did you, let me ask you, did you share that with anybody or were you like, well, it was in the neighbor, what was so odd, this, and just like when I had the religious apparition, um, mm -hmm. I was probably about nine and there was this, it was really big. It was a saucer shape and it was okay. fluorescent orange you know, okay. to my eyes, but we were out playing all the kids in the neighborhood were playing in the street. The parents were out sitting on the porch and all of that. And this thing slowly hovers over and we're all, everything stopped. It was silent and everybody was looking at it. And then it just kind of moved over and just went over because I'm, in Northern California with forests and lots of trees and stuff. Mm -hmm, so right. then it became where it was out of sight. So everybody saw it. Everybody saw it. And then wow. as soon as it's out of sight, everybody starts playing again and everybody's, and no one says anything. 
<laughs> and I'm like, whoa, wasn't that something? And they're looking uh -huh. at me like, what are you talking about? Exactly. And that's yeah. incredible because it's like, how do you like, why am I the only one that thinks it's unusual? Well, I, there's this phenomenon, God, like I said, I have done such interesting research and had so many interesting experiences, but there is a phenomenon that if the brain can't handle it, or if yes. it's beyond the comprehension of the brain, that the mind will block it out. Yes, it does. And it I does. see this in, in a particular research we did with something called the psychomantium, um, mm -hmm. where people who have these experiences in this you know, psychomantic chamber or tent or whatever, they have these experiences and they're in there for an hour. And then when you go to open the drape to bring them out, they're like, nothing happened. And so you have to take them in and do a post interview with them and ask them each step they took in the process while they're in there. And then they start saying things and it's like, they're, you know, Yes. It's just like, I'm like, I think something happened, <laughs> you know, after well, they're describing all these things, but the mind is protecting them. Yeah. Let me see. I just, there, there we go. You know what? What's really funny is I would do, uh, when I would do past life regressions as a hypnotist, you know, I had people that came in with these expectations about where their past lives were. And I would say, okay, well, you know what? We'll just <laughs> let your mind pick. What's the most appropriate one for you to see? A good portion of the time, it was what not what they expecting, and it was very right. tame. <laughs> As in, you know, whatever. And I would say, do you understand your mind? There's an understanding once you get there that you realize this is you. Even though it might not look like you, you know it's you. I go, your mind is never going to show you something that you could not handle. In other words, where maybe they drew, drew and quartered you and hung you at the, you know. At the, oh, right. You know, if you cannot handle that. You're not going to see it at the very beginning. Or it might show you something else that might be more appropriate versus that. And people don't realize that that something like that, your mind is always going to try to keep you sane, which is sometimes where you have people that have, they lose that memory of a certain event. And then little by little, it'll start coming back a couple of years later. They might start having vivid dreams and it's just their subconscious oh, right. trying to ready them. And I tell, and you know what? There's memories that you're never, ever ready to see. Right. You know, that, 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 because your mind at all costs will try to keep you sane. Exactly. Um, if something is so overwhelming, like, and everybody's got a different threshold, by the way, you so show something to some people and they're like horrified, but they can handle it. Then you show it to right. some other person and it's forget it. They'll like be gone. Right. Right. Just yep. like what you were and describing as in this, everybody's watching this thing and everybody's like, Okay. Right. I'm not going to go yeah. through that through that door. So we'll just pretend that didn't happen. Exactly. You know, it, it happens. A UFO encounter um, or sighting, anyway, happened again. As with my business partner in Henderson, Nevada, and mm -hmm. we were at a Starbucks outside, and we were chatting, and the place was full. And then this blue beam, diamond-shaped thing across the street, where there's nothing built out. It was just desert. And this blue thing, diamond shape, emanating blue light came down and it was just hovering over the ground. And then it, it like had this blue beam that went to the ground and then it just went up and disappeared. 
And everybody was, I mean, it was dead silent. Everybody was looking at it. And then after it disappeared, everybody just started talking again. And my business partner, who is who he's passed away, but he he was really into ufology. And he was going, we just saw a UFO. Oh, at least he was. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, we sure did. But everybody that was there, now somebody did because it was in the news. Um, okay. Somebody had mentioned it to the news. But for the most part, the people at the Starbucks outside were just talking away like nothing had happened. Oh, and I had this flash of my childhood. I'm like, wow, been here, done that before. Yeah. I can remember this kind of we're, experience. We are creatures of habit, more, more than people think. And if it'd be so surprising yeah. what we ignore, if that's going to interrupt our little schedule, you know, our, the, the, <laughs> our reality. It's like, yes. oh my God, yeah. if UFOs and ETs exist, what else? <laughs> that I thought right. is only and like movies is real. Yeah. Because. And that, and that frightens a lot of people. Yes, it does. Yeah, that, Very I mean, much. The whole UFO aliens coming. Um, there's such a negative connotation in a lot of people's minds, like even dangerous. Right. Um, so it's just too frightening to deal well, with. It becomes the horizon becomes very uh, foggy because if you say if you start entertaining that they're they're real, and then what else about my reality is that I think doesn't exist is real. I mean, and some people it's like no 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 that's just oh I can't no I need my you know, exactly right. Yeah, I need my reality to be very controlled and very no, no, no surprises. Not that kind anyway, because uh, the next thing you know, it's like, you know, and of course, I hate to say it, but Hollywood is also because everybody's envisions the worst, like Independence Day. You're right, right. <laughs> right the world. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and I do believe there's good and bad. Um, when I was in the group of experiencers, mm -hmm. um, alien counter experiencers, uh, the person who ran that group, he just felt that all ETs are benevolent. And I'm just like, and you, just like people, you know, they're, no, they're not all benevolent. You have to discern, you know, it's like you have to, there, there's, there's good and bad in everything, including way out, you know, out in space or even sure. interdimensionally. I think if that were, if we look at it from that perspective that everybody's benevolent um, besides us, <laughs> then right. we're being a little too naive. And I respect the guy, the man, I, I respect him. Um, but I feel like that's wishful thinking mm -hmm. in my view. And maybe I'm just, you know, uh, well, have, I, I, I'd like to think I have a more balanced view, but, you know, maybe I'm I'm one of the, I should well, work in Hollywood. I don't this know. Is the thing. <laughs> we, we also, and, and, you know, some people say, okay, you know what, when you try to put our, and when I want to say our morality, I'm going to say overall human, you know, what we consider good and bad. We, maybe to us, let's say, uh, abducting subjects and dissecting them, maybe like with the cattle mutilations, to us, it's horrific. Like, how could you do that? Especially to a human being. But maybe, you know, their moral compass is not the same as ours. How can you know what I'm saying? To us, right. it seems evil. How could you do well, that? Then, but maybe their exactly. intentions. If, if we're giving them the benefit of the doubt, they could out and out be like very callous. The ones that do that and say, "Hey, you know what? We're not going to anesthetize this person, whether it's a, a human or an, an another type of animal, because we need to do our scientific whatever." 
Right. And also, too, if we're looking at it as an extraterrestrial or someone who's a different species, they mm -hmm. may feel no pain. Right. So exactly. The concept of For what we know, they, they, they don't, they, then they're, you know, they, they don't understand. Exactly. You know? I mean, that's, that's a real possibility. If all or the alternative is that they torture, they don't care. <laughs> that's, I mean, and that's another, I mean, there's, yeah. I mean, God, we could get into so many, it's like, oh, yeah. people might call them conspiracy theories, but there's, you know, different thought processes about, um, the, the use of blood or, you know, having mm -hmm. the adrenaline, um, yes. you know, that, that, that fear and they want yes. that. Exactly. So. And I've heard that theory as well, that what the hormones that the body produces when you're under intense fear, I, I mm -hmm. mean, real, yes, right. your body shoots off a bunch of different hormones, everything that, yes, right. exactly. And by the way, the same thing that happens with animals. Um, when animals are uh, yes. are killed or slaughtered, it depends. All of that plays in as well. Right, um, and people eat that. I'm a vegetarian. So. I'm not. I'm not. But I'm very. I'm a. I'm a hypocrite. I'll tell everybody. It's like I have chickens, <laughs> but you couldn't pay me yeah. for anything in the world. <laughs> it's like well, the my chickens is, grow old. They stop laying eggs, and they. You know, it's like. <laughs> Well, I eat eggs. I mean, and I've had chickens, but I don't eat meat. But you know, um, I noticed that you know you'll have chicken people that call their 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 chickens like after a couple of oh, years, yeah. and I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I have an eight year old. I have chickens that are seven and eight years old. God right. knows they'll put it. They'll, they'll lay an egg once a month if I'm lucky, and it's like, nah, <laughs> forget it. But yeah. Um, yeah. But, but as far as, uh, you know, that, that what you were just, just describing as far as the, the let's face it, what, what's more fearful than torture and imminent death, but right. as far as to produce yeah. that type of, of reaction in the body at, at right. all levels. And, yeah. I, and, and I've also heard that there is more than one type of extraterrestrial. Oh, you yeah. Know, that some of them are more hands-off and they're observers. There's others that are... Um, but they're more conscientious as far as when they uh, look at humans or examine them. And then they're the ones that are forget it. These right. are the ones and that you don't want to fall there into their hands. Right. I mean, if you're, I mean, there's so many people that talk about extraterrestrials mm -hmm. um, and the different species for lack of a better word, yes. you know, different types of extraterrestrials where there are benevolent ones and there are malevolent ones. Um, right. that and I think within a species there can be both just like with us yes yes you know? of course God knows yeah. yes yes um there uh, I don't see you know and, and maybe there's a there's a where that you would say well the, why don't the good ones you know but maybe they're they're one of these like we're all equal you know I won't interfere with what you do and you don't interfere with what I do and let's call it that you know but right right it's a very yeah. unusual um and uh and of course i'm sure you've heard that the attraction supposedly for earth or for humans is our genetic material that that's also i have heard thing. that yeah yes yeah. especially if it, they're coming from a dying planet exactly exactly yeah. that we have very rich genetic material um and of course then you go into the hybridization you know that that that's what they're here for um I mean, it could go 
in so many different ways with that. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's like, <laughs> let me say it like that's a six beer conversation or something. No, well, you know, <laughs> exactly. And this is, this is the thing. I, I'm, I, I agree with you, like what you said about, you know, the person that thinks that, that everything is kumbaya with the ETs. Let's go and, and assume that they're for real. And then the other one where you don't want to have this fear reaction because all of a sudden we're told the ETs are coming for you and everybody's like, oh my God, you know, it's right. like, there's got to be a happy medium here. I agree. And and the thing is, that's where I think, and not to be like mean in a way, but people lack discernment yes. and trusting in their own their own physical response. But most of the time, I think it's due to programming, um, which is like, you know, watching movies where they're all evil or even with evil people for that Mm -hmm. matter. Um, But I, you know, this is where critical thinking is really important and to use one's discernment based on our sixth sense, you know, in our intuitive parts of our being. I mean, that's how people survived, you know, when they were running from saber tooth tigers, you know, sure. it's like being able to sense an environment and is it safe or is it not? Yeah, exactly. so at least there's, that's my view. I'd like to there's think a book it. that was written, I want to say in the 90s. I'm not sure. It's called The Gift of Fear. And I, if I remember correctly, I believe the author um, used to uh, be one of the profilers for the FBI. Oh. And basically he was talking about how exactly like what you said that you have this instinct of fear that fear is triggering you and they did studies of people that have been victimized and survived obviously and most of them described where prior to the attack whether they were being followed or they were ambushed or whatever they kind of felt that something was wrong yes and they ignored it yes you know that the, my imagination is running away with me uh, that's not real, you know, that, that's self-critical voice that you got like, oh, and they said that all of them, almost all of them prior to being attacked, they couldn't pinpoint it. They couldn't say exactly what it was, but something, the alarm bells were going off and them telling them right. leave, go, you know, or just lock the door, something. And that's why the, the title of the book is the gift of fear, because in other words, there's moments where right. it serves a purpose. Right. Yes. And like you said, I think a lot of times we um, we worry too much about like, what are people going to think if I just run away? Right. Cares. <laughs> or or what you know I'm or I'm scared that something's there and you know people are going to think I'm an idiot. Um, yes. But this is why in my research I wanted mm-hmm. people who had the experiences before 12 years old, yes. so they weren't as readily indoctrinated. Especially mm-hmm. the young ones, right? You know, they were still open, and um, so they weren't uh, they weren't as inclined to question what they experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that was like the best data to get. You know, it's sure. un, untainted data. Right. Um, you know, your, your child, the child doesn't analyze overanalyze it. Right. As to how could I be seeing this or what is that? Or, you know, all the things that an adult thinks about, like talks themselves out of it. Um, a child right. just sees it and accepts it. Right. Whatever it is. Right. They, they're, they're just, yeah, there's, I, I hate that we lose that actually. <laughs> you know, I think part of it is maturing. And like you said, a lot of it also is that, you know, you're told grow up or 
right. you know, we're kind of like, or, you know, it, it, yeah. And thwarting where I was so lucky with my upbringing with my mother, she actually had Zenner cards if you know, and she mm -hmm. was, she would train us to enhance okay. our psychic abilities. Sure. Um, so we were never thwarted as children, at least from my mother. So, right. you know, that's why it was so odd that she didn't believe me about my religious apparition, but this is highly unusual compared to your typical American family. Right, that, that. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something, Irene. And, 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 you know, because I've spoken sometimes to people who have had supernatural experiences as children, same thing. And they get, you know, sometimes they'll get the parents that are understanding, and there's others that are told, shut up, what? Yep. And I say, mm -hmm. once upon a time, things like that carried a certain type of stigma. Yes. So some, some of these parents were doing their best to protect you because being odd, you know, even right. in that, something like that, it's like, this is going to expose my kid to either ridicule or worse. So sometimes this is the best thing the parent knew how to do to, to, to take care of their kid. Like, don't talk about that. Don't say you saw that. Right. Yeah. I, in fact, one of my, you just made me think about a person who wanted to be in my study, but it wasn't an apparition. She wrote me about having this stigmata. Wow. Um, and when she was a little girl, she, her foot was bleeding. And she okay. showed, I think she was African-American, if I remember correctly, in the South. And okay. um, she showed her grandmother. She goes, look, my foot's bleeding. It keeps bleeding. And her grandmother okay. pulled her sock. I don't know what she did as far as covering the blood or whatever, and pulled the sock up. And she goes, you'll only tell me about this. Okay. You know, it's like to protect the child. Right. Yeah. So and she I never... know that the method was maybe not the best, especially for a child. Right. But sometimes an adult that's been around before is thinking the last thing I want. And unfortunately, that's the kind of thing that people don't forget, you know, you know, schoolmates or teachers or. Right. Yeah, it's that weird kid, you know. Yeah, exactly. Which I experienced because I was mm -hmm. <clears throat> because of my mother's training, you know, I was just openly psychic and without realizing it was reading people's minds and, and telling them what they were thinking without knowing I was even doing that. But people were afraid of me. I really had an unpleasant childhood. Um, Let me ask you, what, 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 uh, how does, how was your psychic abilities working? Were you clairvoyant? What was it? Or you were what reading people ours? What, what was going on? I just call it knowing okay. I have no, I, it's not like, uh, yeah, I just, somebody will ask a question and mm -hmm. even as a little kid, you know, I would just answer it. And I think I have no idea where that came from. Okay. And, and, and so it, yeah, I just call it a knowing it's like an okay. innate knowing. And I actually worked as a psychic um, okay. in the nineties. That was because uh, I'm also a professional astrologer, but I did okay. psychic work and, um, and that's, I have no idea where it comes from but okay. because I was raised. It's, I don't have a, a filter to drop it off. Right you know, to cover it up. I just so right. it was helpful in that work. Um, well, so I was able yeah. to help. I, I tell everybody, you know, sometimes when um, you know, sometimes people get that gut feeling. Yeah. Don't get on the plane. Don't go down that road. Don't yes. whatever. Yes. You know. I think people. Let's let, let's let's use the, let's 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 use the worst case scenario: the plane that you you know. Yeah. If the people were to be alive to ask, how many of them? knew had that inkling i shouldn't get on this flight right okay or they had a, a partner or a friend or somebody that said don't go on that flight and they're like of 
course I am. Yeah, uh, right. Oh, I can only imagine about the person who did the warning and it was just, you know, ignored. You're like, you're an idiot. And they get on the yes, oh, God. Exactly. Same oh. thing. You know, you go down, I go, you say, let's say you're a certain road and you don't go down that road and there was a horrific accident. But let's say you, you listen to your instinct. When you dodge the bullet, you really don't know that you dodged the bullet. You don't because you dodged it. In other right, words, it, right, you, right. So, um, yeah, it's it's really weird that sometimes we, our instincts, our inner guidance, we dismiss it. And, and a lot of times it's like what you said, because we've been programmed by our authority figures, parents, whatever, mm, teachers. Right. Oh, don't be weird. That's your imagination. You know, uh, that's too out there. So we kind of discounted yeah. it. Unfortunately. Yeah. That, that uh, yeah, exactly it is. It's very unfortunate. I think that I wish that every child was raised in the way I was. Wow. Um, there'd be, and then that they trusted. Their... How about your siblings? Irene, did they, did any of them ever have later on in life, any type of unusual experience? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I have four brothers and yeah, all of them. And just, interested in ufos except for one um okay. he, he's a capricorn he's the only grounded person in the family but you know when we were kids and my mother was teaching us you know we were doing the ouija board or mm -hmm. my mother did spirit writing which has to do with my book the cracking the angels code that's where the okay. angel communication came from um they all did it even my most grounded brother who you know, poo poo's all this stuff now, but nice. he's in there right in a way, you know, yeah. it's like contacting the spirits or whatever. But you'd be um, surprised yeah. some of the people, the doubters are sometimes, there's a reason why they're, they, 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 sometimes they're the ones that most see or hear or experience, but they kind of like say, I can't deal with that. So they like, nah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm <laughs> telling out my brother, but um <clears throat> You know, he's just kind of like, that's all BS, you know, now. Right. But I know he, he, you, he could not have bypassed our childhood, you right. know. So I know that he's, he's got in, in, without, you know, getting overly dramatic. I think mm -hmm. he has kind of a second sight or a knowing, um, mm -hmm. but he's not going to share it. But my other brothers, most definitely. I mean, some very impressive or really interesting experiences that they've shared um at least you know in, within the family <laughs> well I've, I've said this story before i have an aunt she's very she's in her 80s now and when we were growing up she was very much ghost and all that's nonsense and uh, you know you brought up that subject anything like that she'd be like you're crazy that's all bs blah, blah, blah. one day we're having a get together this was a few years ago and they're talking about and she, uh, she and my mom, they were, uh, they, they attended, uh, the Catholic school, like a boarding school in, oh. you know, where you stayed there. Yeah. And this was a very old, you know, school church complexes. And she says she must've been like six years old, the equivalent. She was in first grade. And she says that this was very old buildings. And she says that all of a sudden she looked at the doorway of the classroom and she saw an altar boy with a very yeah. sad face. And this was the time also that the classes that were not co-ed, she was, it was an all girl thing. Oh, and she's uh -huh. a little kid and she's thinking, what is an altar boy doing here? And he says that she looked like really sad and she looked like, like as a kid, it, 
looked very solid. And she just uh -huh. looked up at the fact he was gone. He had disappeared. And she's saying this story. And I'm like, you saw ghosts. And all this time, <laughs> you've been telling everybody that we're here. Like, it's nonsense. And oh, like, right. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. And then she didn't change the subject. But she, like you said, when you're a child, you don't. She didn't think of it as a ghost. She was in her mind. She's thinking, what is this six-year-old altar boy? I mean, this little boy altar boy that looks all sad, very serious, standing in the doorway of the classroom. And then he just, you know, she looked and he looked and he was gone. Then he was gone, yeah. And he was gone. And, you know, in other words, he would never have been there to begin with, even if he was, you know, for real, because this was the all-girl part of right. the, the school. Right. So sometimes even the most ardent disbelievers proclaim that they're disbelievers. Right. If you ever get them to confess, to fess up, they've got some stories to tell. Right. Well, I think too, um, if they block it out, uh, it, I think it just, it will shake their world paradigms yes. um, yes. to have to even remember, admit it because mm -hmm. they have been so indoctrinated throughout their education and then their exposure to other people. So many people, yes. I mean, unfortunately, in my view, um, oh, yeah. there are a lot of people that way. Yeah, yeah. sadly. But there's a, there's a lot of people that, that if you get them, they'll, they they have at least a couple of stories. Oh, yeah. They say, well, you'll keep it to yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, yeah. There. keeping secrets for sure. <laughs> Irene, it has been absolutely wonderful to speak to you. Let me ask you, are you, um, do you have any projects, any new books or anything that you're planning now for the for 2022 or beyond? Well, right now I've got a book is sitting at a publisher. Um, okay. I got a publishing contract back in May and it's a book that it's alternative. Well, it's an alternative way of healing grief. Um, okay. And it's about the psychomantium research. Mm -hmm. so if you know about psychomantium. Yes. Um, so we, at my school, we had a, a psychomantium research project. We called it the bereavement project. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I'm, I'm just writing about, and it's, it's, um, kind of scholarly. So I didn't want to write it that way, but the publishers are more on the scholarly side. Um, so that one, but it won't be out for a, probably another year and a half because it's traditional publishing. The, you know what? I had never heard of the use of psychomantium for grief. That Oh, that, really? That no, was what I it was originally not. for. Yeah. No, I had not. So another year and a half? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Self-publishing is so much faster because yeah. you're in charge of everything. But when you go through traditional publishing, it takes a while. Let me ask you um, something. Is this like the same format where you looked at case studies of people that tried it or? or um, well, this one, it's almost, it's borderline could be used in a classroom. Um, okay. The first part of the book, I talk about, you know, grief, which is basically for death. Mm -hmm. um, because that's who we brought in, people who were grieving the death of a loved one. Okay. And then the second one, I just talked about the different kinds of grief and the grief theories. Mm -hmm. And then I got more into, you know, how people will heal from grief. And we talked, then I start talking about the psychomantium and the developer of the psychomantium, Dr. Raymond Moody. Moody. Yes. If, Dr. Moody. If you're familiar with him. Yes. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> he's a fun guy, but anyway, um, 
So that, then I'm talking about the psychomantium, and then I start talking about the participants in my research. Now, this is a rough draft, and I'm mm -hmm. at the mercy of the publisher. So right. I wrote all, you know, what their experiences were, the different categories of experiences, like, okay. you know, people who had messages, people who didn't, people who saw apparitions, which is mm -hmm. really rare, um, who heard messages. And so I described those. And okay. then I talk about as facilitators, because I was a facilitator um, and other facilitators, what the experience, you know, how, you know, how it impacted us or what our experiences were and then okay. how it can be used um, for things beyond just death. So let me ask but, you, yeah. did they, overall, did they, did the people have that ex using the psychomantium? Was it comforting for them as far as the grief? Yes. Um, and little did I know, because we took over 100 people through mm -hmm. in, in our research. And um, I think there was like one person who had what would be described as a bad experience. Okay. And we were really strict about screening our people because they could not have been diagnosed with, uh, um, well, they couldn't be on medication okay. uh, for any kind of psychotic obviously sure. that you don't want to put them in a psychomantia, sure, but this one person got through and um, they, they didn't describe what the experience was as bad, but they knew they needed to go and see their psychiatrist and see their psychologist. And they were, you know, they made plans to, you know, made appointments that so day. So in other words, they, they, what was it? They didn't t tell you guys ahead of time that they, uh, I, somehow they slipped through the screening okay. and you know, that, and we were pretty strict about the screening, yeah. but that was the only one. Mm -hmm. Either it was a neutral experience where like, okay. you know, it was, but that they were very comforted and at peace in the psychomantium and some were like massively transformative. And I had one of my people had a massively yeah. transformative experience. Um, she was suffering from what we call complicated grief mm -hmm. and, um, or prolonged grief disorder. And, um, three you know it's a three-hour process three she talks about the whole you know the de the dead loved one an hour or so in the psychomantium and then an hour of post treat you know we talk about we call it post session but mm -hmm. she was really wrecked and when she okay. came out of the psychomantium the woman was absolutely transformed oh, wow. I, I mean even for me it was like it impacted me just to witness her change. And it, and we also were testing if it lasted over time. And we, okay. you know, I think we sent a month later or two months later to see they, you know, what their responses were to a questionnaire about, you know, the level of like how much love was there, grief was, you know, pain or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it, all of them, it lasted over time. In fact, it never went away. Right. Right. In other words, that it wasn't like, okay, three months later, they're back to, you know, another way it wore off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. These were permanent changes for the people who had experienced transformation of their grief. Yeah. Pretty amazing. So interesting. <laughs> what, uh, for my podcast listeners, what is your website address? Oh my gosh, uh, my websites are so old. Um, but if they're interested in learning a little bit more about the psychomantium, mm -hmm. I call my website is called the portal to healing grief.com. 
It's very okay. old, but it has some information there. And okay. if they're interested in um, just some of the different things about supernatural stuff, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay. I, and it's not updated, but there is some some interesting things on the website. They could just go to blinston.com. Okay. And that'll take them to my original website. Right, because I'll put a link to to the website on the credits of the show, but for my podcast listeners so that they'll hear it also. Again, I want to thank you. It has been absolutely fascinating speaking with you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It's been fun. I love this topic. Can you tell? <laughs> yes. We both, we both do. <laughs> yes, I mean, God. Again, thank you so much. And I'm hoping after the new year, I'll get in touch with you again. And I would love to have you come back and we could talk some more about this. Oh, I'd love it. Yeah. Yeah. You just get me going. Yeah. Anytime. Yes. Anytime. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Bye-bye. Wow. This has been so interesting. You know why? Because she talks about what so many of us sometimes think about, you know, um, and I've come up, you know, I have read some of the things, even like, let's say like Lourdes and Fatima and, you know, all these, um, the, the, those are the most, I want to say more well-recognized um, Marian apparitions, if you want to call them that, religious, that, like I said, you don't, you know, uh, you know, you hear of cases of stigmata, which for, for anybody who doesn't know is when you, uh, manifest on your body the same wounds as Jesus, which of the crucifixion, like in the hands and in the feet. All right. Uh, and then there's, of course, the Marian apparitions, which is where Fatima and Lourdes, where children saw who they described as the Virgin Mary. And then they, um, <clears throat> they said about the messages that the Virgin had. And of course, all these things at the beginning where I don't want to say dismissed by the church and I can understand why they would want to be careful about it. But a lot of times there was a, um, a resistance. For example, the children at the, in Fatima, these were very poor children, peasant children. They, um, you know, that in other words, like why would they be chosen to uh, be visited by the Virgin Mary? Why? You know, so there was always that resistance to it. And um, it's almost like one of those things like what, uh, and of course, when she described it, somebody looked at the original transcripts of what these children described, all right? It, it's, it's very unusual because I had read about like, was this the Fatima apparitions? Was, is there, is, are we talking an extraterrestrial visitation? And I know there's people out there going, well, why can't it be a religious or the Virgin? It's like one of those things without having been there. Okay. And again, you have to understand part of it. Like I told her, you know, how much did the church massage this as far as what the Virgin said to the children, et cetera, once they decided to accept it. Okay, as an authentic apparition by the Virgin Mary. You know, because remember, once these sites happen, you get God, thousands of people coming on pilgrimage. They usually build a church. Um, there's miracles that are performed. I mean, you name it. And it's like, um, 
In other words, my belief is that once the Catholic Church decides that it's an authentic um, apparition, they want to make sure that the message that's put out is the right one. You know, that's why I asked her, you know, because I don't know, I would think that the Virgin Mary would not try to put fear or guilt into people if that was her message. You know, she could say, pray the rosary, pray for peace, this, this, and that. But um, mm, that's just my own personal belief. But I think that's so fascinating. You know, how much of it are we talking truly spiritual as in the origin is divine? Or are we talking uh, the origins, let's call it non-divine, because if the origin is another species, as in extraterrestrials, you know, let's face it, that's not what we would consider divine. Most of us would be like, okay, are we, you know, are we being played? You know, are they giving us the version that uh, fascinates us or is that we're capable of understanding? You know, we're thinking, yeah, we're we're dealing with a div divinity, you know, Jesus, God, the creator, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. But, the, you know, not, nowhere in there are you thinking that this is, uh, uh, a, another species or, you know, flesh and blood kind of, when I say flesh and blood, whatever they're made of kind of thing, you know, to us, it's like, no, no, it's like, that, that doesn't work that way. You know, I don't want to be, if, if, if I'm going to do some type of adoration, it's not going to be to ET. You see what I'm saying? Or again, you know, how many of these sightings sometimes, and I'm not saying maybe the, there is, a divine, the, the divinity creator, certain experiences that people have that absolutely have nothing to do with ET, with an ET source. Okay. There's others that are sourced out of ET, but maybe when they were witnessed, the people uh, at the time couldn't describe it as anything other than something God-like or from a divine source, because there's no other way that they could describe it. And then of course, the story, whatever, whether it was written or oral tradition on it, always places that event or that character as a divine character. It's a real mind bender, isn't it? Isn't it? And I think it's fascinating when she says that she saw Jesus. And, you know, I, I, I could so easily imagine that. You're a five or six-year-old in church and you're seeing this guy up on the altar and you're like telling your mom, hey, don't you see him? And your mom's like, be quiet. You know, it's that. Because again, you know, we have to, I think a, a, like what she was talking about, the conditioning, that we always think that the person that's going to have a religious sighting, whatever your religion is, you either have to be a shaman or the guy sitting on the mountain, you know, that hasn't eaten food in six months or, you know, an aesthetic uh, or hermit, or a highly religious person, um, you know, something like that, or penitent, you know, sometimes, you, yeah, like in other words, these are the people that think, well, if they're going to have a religious experience, or religious sighting, it's going to be one of those, why, why, why can't it be children, ordinary children, even though I'm sure she did, from she described, there was other people beyond the, um, you know, the childhood that had them, but I'm, and I'm glad she narrowed it down because at that age, you're more accepting. You see it for what it is, whatever it is. Um, did you say, 
wow, it could happen to anybody. That's the way it should be. Whether it's because you as that child have some type of, um, what do you call it? More vigilance, that there's something that you notice things that maybe others don't, and that allows you to see things. And by this, I don't mean conjure things. I'm not saying makeup. Sometimes people that are more aware, they kind of see things that other people don't pick up. It's almost like you see what you have eyes to see. In other words, it doesn't qualify. Well, you know, who are you in life? You know, you could be just a normal, average, everyday kid. And you're going to see this. And unfortunately, that's what happens a lot of times when people say they saw things or as a kid, you it's like, no, you can't because you're nobody. You know, you're just a kid. You know, put your put your hand down. Imagine her mom. What? Be quiet. You know, people are going to stare. They're going to ask who you're seeing. The next thing you know, yeah. And again, I wasn't kidding. I know some parents don't want to go down that road with their kid because they, for lack of a better word, they want their kid to be average. And when I mean average, I don't mean average as in stupid or. But they realize if my kid gets that type of reputation, it's going to hurt them. They might get ostracized by their friends at school. They might get ostracized by the teachers. They might get ostracized by their neighbors. Believe it or not, as parents, you don't want that for your child. Because that whole brings a whole thing of problems with it. And, it, you know, sometimes parents just don't know how to handle it too well. Because the, the child feels like, why don't you believe me? You of all people. Sometimes the intentions are good on behalf of the parents. Just... The method of delivery is not the best. And then, of course, you know, especially if you get to a kid, you know, where you later on you try to explain. And I'm sure if any has children, children go through this thing of everything is why, but then that, but why? And then, but why? You know, it's like, oh, let me just tell you that that doesn't exist. Uh, and it's a scary thing, you know, to, if you're going to be the parent of a child that says, I can see. Not even a ghost, because let's say I, I, I can see a holy, um, divine figure, whatever it is that you, for a parent, that's got to be like, uh, what comes with this? What comes with being the parent of a child that is able to see this? You know? Um, yeah, that comes... As far as why some parents, it's like, no, I I wouldn't want my child to be this quote unquote holy. Because sometimes, I hate to say it, it becomes more of a curse than a gift kind of deal. Yeah. So anyway, guys, I hope you like this interview with Dr. Blinston. I think she's fascinating. I could talk to her about so many things. I'm going to put the credits uh, in the credits of the show. I'll put a link to her website. You heard it where you could go visit her. Also, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter. Go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com or MarlenePardo.com. There's a little box there where you could sign up. Again, if you want to listen to any of the podcast versions of any of the series that I host or narrate, you're going to find links there so where you could click and listen to either on your browser or download the MP3 file without any type of... Um, any type of commercial interruption. Again, um, the video versions of any of the series, you can find them on YouTube, on Rumble, on 
BitChute. I'm all over the place that has some type of video hosting service on Daily Motion. You're going to find me there. Uh, so again, but if you want links to all of that, go and visit MiamiGhostChronicles.com and you will find me there. Again, guys, come back next week. I have a bunch of great guests lined up. I know you're going to enjoy it. Again, thank you so much for being part of my audience. You're all great.